Hello, and welcome to Pause Pop, positively pop culture, where we talk about the things we love enthusiastically and without guilt. I'm Carrie Gessner, along with my co-host, K.W. Taylor, and today we're bringing you an interview with writer Amanda Bales. This is the first part of a two-parter, so we hope you enjoy it and stay tuned for the conclusion next week. So, hey, I'm here with writer Amanda Bales, and I'm going to let Amanda introduce yourself. Okay, so yes, I'm Amanda Bales. I wrote a book of short stories. Yay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is very good. It's a good. Oh, book. thank you. Yeah, so the, and I, you know, that's why I'm here now. Um, but I've also been writing and, and publishing various things for a long time because I've been at it for a while. But yeah, so I'm originally from Oklahoma, and then I've lived in lots of different places, and I currently um, teach at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and live in Central Illinois with my adorable dog Axton. And that's pretty much the introduction that I have for myself. Excellent. And just for for listeners, Axton has not made an appearance on Skype yet. But if he does, I will let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to start off talking about the cola stories? Sure. Yeah, so this is, you know, it's a book a long, a long time in the making. You know, some of these stories were written, I mean, two of them were written when I was an MFA student when I was, you know, 26 and I'm 40. So some of these have been around for a long time, but most of them were probably within the last like five, six years, because I feel like, A, that's when the, the this sort of book started coalescing a lot more. So it's a short story collection that is centered on a single place, Pecola, Oklahoma, which is kind of a, a fictional amalgamation of where my family's from, which is Southeast Oklahoma, which, you know, I think when a lot of people think of Oklahoma, they think of, you know, the panhandle and they think of the Jodes heading to California and, you know, the Dust Bowl. Right. And that, like that part exists, like that, you know, that part is there, but there's also this part that's the foothills of the Ozarks and that's, you know, got a lot more sort of like Southern feel to it. You know, if you consider Arkansas and Louisiana Southern, then like, why would, you know, 20 miles <laughs> to the East, like suddenly be the Midwest, right? <laughs> So yeah, it's it's centered there, and there, you know, the story, the first story sort of sets up several reoccurring characters that then, you know, are intertwined throughout the book, and then come back sort of into the forefront in the final story. Every time I try to talk about, you know, how things are kind of interconnected, etc., I'm like, this is going to be really boring. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not real sure how to do it, but that's that's my attempt. No, I think it's super interesting because I went into it not knowing that they were all connected. And that was a really interesting surprise for me. And I also just love hearing how other writers approach things. So do you remember which story came first? I mean, in terms of, you know, completed story, because I didn't, I didn't write short stories really until I got to grad school. Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> So, you know, I, there were probably a few before that. And then the first one I actually completed that I was proud of and that then also got published is actually Rotate and Return, which is not maybe the strongest story in the collection. And it's also one of the few that's set outside of Pakala, like the main character is from there. And she references it and thinks about it, but it's not set there. It's set in Colorado. So in terms of like, you know, the first story that I wrote and completed, that would probably be it. But in terms of the first story, that I completed and then was like, okay, I'm really interested in these characters. I want to 
you know, think about this place more and do more with this place. That is probably what is taken. Okay. Yeah, which is the story of the two brothers. Okay. So in the story, there's two brothers, one's older and one's younger, and their mom dies in a house fire. And there's this one story that the brother, the older brother is telling the younger one about their mom and how he wants them to, the younger one to remember his mom. And he talks about this place that they go to, which is like basically this, you know, swimming hole, this sort of like, you know, piece of water that most people have kind of forgotten about. And that in and of itself, just that there would be this kind of like little hidden, you know, water hole somewhere in those trees. And that it kind of has this almost surreal, magical quality to the brothers. And then I think in a lot of the other stories as well, like that in and of itself was enough to make me want to go back to that literal place and just see, well, who else is going to be there? And, you know, how might they run into each other and that kind of stuff. I've been flipping through the book a little bit because I'm not great with titles. So when you say the story, I'm like flipping through to remember, oh, yeah, 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 that's this one. So you read the first one a while ago. And now it's it's a book of inter twined short stories where along the way did you say oh i think i have something and i could put them all together and it could be a cohesive whole yeah so i mean that was a that was a pretty hard struggle i think that after i had you know enough stories with who the people who i consider the main characters who are kendall and ruth and ephraim right so as soon as i sort of had the very first story in the book and then and, you know, what is taken, which is the first story that I wrote, and then the last story in the book. Once I had that, I could sort of see them as, like, cornerstones of a book. And that's and that's what happened. There's the first story, you know, again, since these characters, and the last story comes in 30 years later. So the first story opens up in 1988 with the Bush-Dukakis election, and then the last story is set in 2016 with the Trump election. And so I could just see that being like, okay, there's going to be this, you know, this span of time and it's going to be in a single place and we're going to, you know, have these reoccurring characters. So once I had sort of those points down, I could start figuring out like what would happen in between over that time period and like, which of these characters am I interested in seeing again? What might their lives be like? There used to be a novella in the middle that I still love and that everyone else hates. Oh, no. <laughs> so that, no, it's okay. Like, that's that's one of the things that happens, right? Is that you'll have, like, these little babies that you're just like, but why? But why don't you like it? <laughs> and it was, you know, it, it sort of, I think, more fully fleshed out, like, the 90s era. Okay. So the the main female character who's in Getting By it's it's her and her friends like high school story right okay. so, which is like referenced a lot it's referenced that they have a band together you know and that like they think that they're going to be country music stars like Reba McIntyre like that's referenced in that story and then like mm-hmm. that novella is like you know them in the 90s thinking they're going to be the next Reba McIntyre yeah <laughs> so so I love it and it's probably it's probably entirely for those reasons right because I remember being a girl growing up in the 80s and 90s in Oklahoma and, you know, wearing my ropers and, like, you know, thinking about country music stars and, like, all that business. And, like, no one else gives a So, so I'm pretty sure the novella, like, you know, died at the death it should have died. Oh. But because of that, because of that, like, once I got the end point, right, and I used to have that novella in the middle, and once I took that out, things kind of got a little more surreal and disconnected, which I, I actually really like quite a bit which is where I have a lot of flash fiction pieces that come in mm-hmm. and maybe a few more experimental pieces that come in there, which I actually think makes the book a lot more interesting than it otherwise would have been. 
in sort of a, you know, okay, you can have a collection of stories and especially if it's by the same author and set in the same place, even with linked characters, it can kind of, I think, sometimes feel like, well, were you trying to write a novel and then you just couldn't figure out how to do it? <laughs> um, whereas with, you know, with some of these more experimental pieces, especially the ones that are centered, there's three that are centered on like a school shooting and stuff like that. I think mm-hmm. that it's this very clear way of saying like, this is not a composite novel. Like it could be, it could have been. Right. I tried to make it one for a long time and I tried <laughs> to sell it as one for a long time. And I finally ran into, um, so his name's John Seeley, and he's the editor of Haywire Books, which is a small press in the South. And he basically, I mean, he was so kind. Like, he did not, dis- like, he did not owe me anything. So, like, why <laughs> he spent this much time with me, I don't know. But he was basically like, it is not a novel. Please stop trying to sell it as that. <laughs> like, if you want to do something else with this, we can work on it. But, like, no. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, then that freed me up to be like, okay, no, it is like this weird you know, it's connected, like, these stories are connected, but they're in, like, kind of tangential ways. Mm-hmm. I don't have to try to force a single narrative thread out of this. It can be more of a pastiche than, you know, something that's trying to, like, be one thing. And that was that was pretty fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Sometimes you do need an outside voice being like, let's just steer you the other way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, unfortunately, I think, or maybe fortunately, maybe not, like, there, there was a period of time where if you were a certain kind of writer, mostly, you know, straight, upper class white dude, you could get that kind of voice from like a publishing house, right? Like you would write to them to see if they wanted to publish a thing. And, you know, we see this with Cheever and some other people where like there would be an editor there who'd be like, hey, you've got potential. I'm going to work with you. Right. Yeah. And then we kind of had MFA programs come in that would kind of serve that. But for the folks who maybe don't wind up selling their MFA book, right, or et cetera, like. Finding those voices means you have to develop a community on your own, whether that's mm-hmm. people you know from school like you and your friend right. who have this podcast, which is glorious, or in other ways. And I think that I am very grateful to the small presses for also you know, having been those voices for me. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So do you want to talk about your writing process a little bit, no matter what that means to you? Yes. <laughs> There was a period of time in my life where I would be so annoyed when people would ask someone about their process because I'd be like, everyone's is different. What am I supposed to learn from this? But that's true. And I think that that's actually a thing to learn is that, you know, everyone does things differently. And so I think the sort of weird top-down fascist idea of like, you have to sit down at 5 a.m. every morning for a half hour and plug out a thousand pages. Like, okay, maybe that works for you. I don't know. Maybe you like... <laughs> Like, that's fine. I do try to, you know, keep up with my writing and I try to make sure that every week I'm doing some, but, you know, especially in the semester, that's definitely not going to be every day. Right. In terms of, you know, how I approach individual stories and how that goes, it really has changed over time and it changes with kind of every story I'm trying to write. Mm -hmm. So if you get something like, oh, let me think about what a really good example is going to be. Uh, so something like the weight of it all, which is this very, it's one sentence, you know, it's a, it's a flash piece and it's, it's just the thought process, kind of a disconnected thought process of a mother who's lost a child and is thinking about like winds up at the center of the earth. <laughs> right. So I think that, you know, when you're thinking about something like that, well, that's going to have a very different process than something like the gods of men 
or A Hard Thing But True or any of the other sort of like longer, more traditional stories. Mm-hmm. You know, the the ones that are shorter and more experimental, there's going to be a lot more of me, you know, having probably sat down and gotten out a fairly solid complete from beginning to end draft within, you know, an hour or so, but then spending a whole lot of time going back to individual words and the way it sounds and, you know, commas and all of that. Whereas something like the gods of men, which is a very structured, like highly structured, you know, starts out in sort of a collective narration and then breaks off into the individual men who are belonged in that collective. Like that was, you know, that was me trying to tell a story of these men who have accidentally or not sort of depends on how you want to define accident, like killed a man. And now they're trying to decide how to dispose of the body. And like, there was really no other way to tell that. Like they're a collective, but then once they're alone, you kind of want to get to know well who they are before they are part of this collective. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've talked for a while. And basically, in summary, <laughs> the answer is I do things differently depending on what the story is and depending on like what's going on in my life at the time. Yes, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> Cause that's that's pretty much what I do as well. It sort of just depends on the project. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you'd kind of, if you, if you were someone who just wrote kind of the same thing all the time, you know, just sort of different versions, it would make sense to me that you could have the same process and approach it in the same way and write it at the same time and all that kind of stuff. But if you're doing things that vary even slightly, it seems slightly strange to me that you could then approach it the same way. But I don't know. That's also not who I am or my life. So. Yeah, and I think I was talking with some other writers recently, and I feel like it's sort of a disservice to ourselves if we do write the same thing all the time. One of the joys of writing is sort of stretching yourself and and figuring out, hey, can I write this other thing that I haven't really tried before? And maybe you're bad at it at first, but the more you practice it, the better you'll be. So, Oh, I definitely agree. There's, I think, a real disservice that happens in sort of the academy sometimes, which is that people do have to really choose, you know, are you going to do poetry or nonfiction or fiction? And if you do one of these, like what what specific tradition are you following? And like, you know, who are your specific things? And like some of that comes from sort of like weirdly that comes from like capitalism kind of filtering into the academy. Like, how are you going to sell this basically? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that, you know, if you think about like sort of the writer as a whole person, I agree. Like it, it would be, I think a lot healthier if people would, instead of sort of pushing themselves off into these camps, would be like, Hey, I'm going to try a lot of different things and see how it goes. And, you know, maybe I'll suck at it. That's okay. Like it doesn't, <laughs> you can suck at things and still learn things from the sucking. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I want to go back to your grad program a little bit, mm. just because you, I mean, if you want to talk about your program and how it, sort of shaped your writing that's that's awesome or the question i'm sort of leading to is you said you didn't really write short stories until grad school how did that come about and do you also write other things yes so okay so i'm gonna lose track of the other questions but i'll start with with where you started (laughs) yeah so you know and i think that this is this is maybe useful for the very young which is that you know no one that I knew growing up or even really that I was in contact with, et cetera, was a writer that didn't seem like a thing a person could actually do. So even though I was writing a lot, you know, growing up, especially like I'm 
the youngest, but there's like a, a pretty big age gap between me and my older sister. So there was just a lot of, you know, me by myself, like, you know, being imaginative and doing things. So even though that was true, and even though, like, I still was like, oh, you're going to be a lawyer, right? Like, that's this is what you're going to do because you like to write about things. And this is how you make money. <laughs> so I started out as like a pre-law student as an undergrad. So when I think about sort of my intellectual life, I always think about it as starting at college because just because of where I'm from, you know, there's not a big emphasis on like book learning. I don't know how to say it. Like, you know, there are people who are sort of fighting the good fight. I definitely had a school librarian who was very supportive and those kinds of things. But, you know, really, (laughs) there was a lot of just like, hey, we're going to sort of get people through and we're, you know, we're not going to present opportunities or like think big for anyone if you will so anyway that might have been very vague but so so I went to undergrad and actually I I think about this a decent amount which is that my composition teacher like my comp one teacher was a grad student who was there doing creative writing okay so his name's Aaron Gwynn he's an author he's got several books out and like it was just this weird coincidental intersection where like he sort of like just noticed that I had like a strong prose style. And then I found out that he wrote short stories and it was like, oh, what is this? Right. <laughs> and, you know, it was sort of like, I think he had like maybe something published or maybe I just sort of like found out about short stories. I think he maybe like, you know, recommended some collections, that kind of thing happened. And so I got really interested in writing, but I then wound up leaning more towards poetry okay, for whatever reasons. And yeah, and I was also a theater major. So I was doing a lot more of that than I was... <laughs> You know, like, basically, I gave up on law pretty fast uh, and then did, like, performance and, and writing. But at the same time, when I went to graduate, this is so long. I, this is so boring. <laughs> when I went to graduate, I was I was very anti-school. Like, I didn't want to be in college anymore. I didn't want anyone to ever have to, <laughs> to like, be there. I proclaimed loudly that I would never go to grad school, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then... Basically, I got to the point after I had graduated. So I was like a cocktail waitress and I was tending bar. And I just got to this point where I was like, and I'd saved up a bunch of money. And I was like, okay, I like, I can either keep trying because I had sort of fallen in love with writing by that point. I can either keep trying by myself to become a better writer and to be better, or I can try and figure out a way that other people can help me. And I just feel like I'm going to make bigger leaps if I have other people helping me. And I have no idea how to do that other than school. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, not a clue. It's hard. Yeah. Like, I had, there was no other option in my brain. Like, school had always been, like, the way out of things in my mind. You know, my town, et cetera. And so I was like, well, school. Like, that's how you get out of things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I wrote one, like, the beginning of one story and, like, applied to MFA program. (laughs) (laughs) Like, didn't even complete it. Just did that. (laughs) <laughs> I had written a poem based on Ruth, I okay. a poem that then later got published. And then the character of Ruth was just so interesting to me that I sort of like wrote the beginning of a story and applied to programs and got into the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And so, yeah, I hadn't written anything completely at all story-wise mm-hmm. until I really got up there because I was just sitting by myself trying to figure out how to do it and kind of pun it. Like, I just didn't have the imagination that I think MFA programs are actually good for of like imagining your readers and imagining how they're going to react to what you're writing instead of kind of just being in your own head all the time. So yeah, yeah. that's a big problem for me. Sometimes I'm just in my head. And like, I've got it from 
my grad program, I have a good community of writers. And, you know, it's less ideal when we're all spread apart. Um, because there's something about like sitting across a, a table for, at like Red Robin for my friend and being like, okay, here's my story. Here's the issue. Let's talk it out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there are definitely ways that I use my friends and virtual is great as well if, you yeah. know, if no one's nearby. But it's all about getting out of your own head because sometimes you just sort of go in circles and you're like, I can't solve this problem. And as soon as someone else is in the picture, even if they don't offer any solutions, you're just telling, telling it to them, you're automatically outside of your own head. And sometimes you're like, Oh, there's the path. I see it now. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And I think, you know, it's even more important when you're starting out, because you, you like haven't, you haven't heard other people talk about your work yet. So you don't know how it tends to be received or what some of maybe some of your the issues are that you tend to have, right? Or any of those kinds of things. And I think, you know, after you do that for a while, there's a way where you can start to imagine their responses a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. But there are still times, of course, where you're like, well, this is a new thing that I'm doing. And so I don't know how other people read this or how other people respond to this. And I need I need someone to do that for me so I can, Mm -hmm. you know, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, there's... One of the great things I think about right, having a writing community is that that open conversation. And I think also reading works in progress by other people has been really helpful as well. But anyway. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I just realized I'm nodding on a podcast. Like, yes, <laughs> I was vigorously nodding. And then I was like, oh, right, that, this is an audio format. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, again, so I think about this a lot, but I tell my students a lot that, you know, as much as it is what people will give you in terms of like ways to get back into a story that you've maybe shut yourself out of. It's also the amount that you learn by reading other works in progress and by seeing other people sort of like as they are putting the pieces together, particularly with fiction, I think because, you know, narration and narrative, you know, especially like sort of naturalistic or like verisimilitude kind of styles of narration, they are meant to, sort of take you on a ride and sort of like, you know, keep you sort of subsumed in the narrative. And so if you're not seeing how the pieces get put together, it just seems very natural. And like, it just all sort of came out that way. And of course that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) But without, without sort of seeing the process, I think it can, it can feel like that when you and yourself are struggling to put the pieces together. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's very easy to look at a published book and go, that's a first draft. And then compare it to your own first draft, and they're very different. But the reality is that the published book is far from the first draft, probably. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the one example of a writer I always give for people who are like, oh, I just sit down and, you know, write it. The only person who I know that successfully does that is Edward P. Jones. But that's because he genuinely is writing in his head for like 10 years. And it's just like walking around D.C., writing the book in his head. And for some, somehow his brain keeps track of that. I don't know how. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, this is what geniuses do. Uh, <laughs> I have to put stuff down. But, he, you know, he is like he is writing. It's just not, you know, on something that like other people can see. And so even that isn't he sat down and in one draft it came out. It was yeah. 10 years of thinking about this stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
Thank you to Amanda for being on Pause Pop. And next week we will have the second half of our conversation with her. Our theme music is by Joseph McDade. You can find us on Twitter at Carrie Gessner, at KW Taylor Writer, and at Pause Pop Podcast. If you'd rather email us, you can do that at positivelypopculture at gmail.com. And you can also find our website at positivelypopculture.com. If you enjoy the show, we would definitely appreciate if you rated and reviewed us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's very helpful for us. Thank you for listening. Stay healthy and safe. And join us next time for another episode of Pause Pop. Pause Pop.